1: All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Greetings, everyone. This is Brian Reisman, host of Side Jams, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Please subscribe and follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and also know that it is now available as a video podcast on YouTube. Hey everybody, it's Brian Reisman, host of Side Jams, the show where we talk to musicians about their outside passions and their hobbies, and today we have Daniel Estrin, the frontman and guitar star for Voyager.
1: Such a pleasure to be here. I don't know which is my side jam, my music or my day job, I don't know. It depends. Yeah, well, you know,
0: it's interesting because you're you're being an attorney. You're being you're an immigration attorney. are immigration attorney by day. Yep. Uh, rocker by night. So it's actually your side jam is your music. But I still wanted to have you on because it's just so interesting. You even said because you know Voyager represented Australia in Eurovision, and you're the probably the first and only immigration attorney to be on that stage. If, if
1: someone can challenge me and show me another one, then I'll be very impressed. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm the only, the first attorney, but I'm definitely the first immigration, the first administrative lawyer anyway. So yeah, I'll, I'll take that one.
0: The new album, obviously Fearless and Love is very cool. You, I love, uh, I mean, obviously it's the big single, Promise, but you also have uh, I think it's Daydream and Submarine. There's some interesting, yeah interesting songs and cool videos. Yes you guys do a lot of videos actually
1: we do. And, and sometimes you're going to think, well, you know, is it, is it worth doing a video? Because the video, you know, it's a, it's a money burner. Um, it's the, someone said it's like the most expensive Facebook post you can make. Um, and and it's true, but there's something fun about doing it. It's something fun about reinventing yourself and, and, and doing and showing yourself in a, in, in a different light. So we always have a lot of fun and we work with some great videographers and some great directors. So, um, if you're telling if this is you telling us we should make less videos, then we'll be a financially Not more, res- make, 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 a financially make, more responsible lot. decision for sure.
0: <laughs> well, I like that. I'm always surprised because what's interesting is you know, the band goes hand in hand with your law career. I mean, you started the band in ninety nine, you're the you've been there the whole time. I think Simone came in two thousand six. She is the second longest running member of the band. And the yeah. line has been solidified since twenty eleven. But, I mean, you spent, it looks like like a dozen years, I mean, in, in uh, university, because you started, according to your law page, <laughs> you first went, you had I mean, the band was formed at the University of Western Australia, so you yeah. got a Bachelor yeah. of Arts 2001, a Bachelor of Law in 2003, and then uh, you went to Australian National University to get your graduate diploma in legal practice in 2006, and four years later, you had a graduate certificate, specifically in migration law. Um. So you've really, like, the two have gone hand in hand the entire time.
1: They have. I've always had um, very understanding uh, managers and supervisors who were always very uh, keen to give me the, the leave and the holidays that I needed to do the touring because, I, you know, I was obviously serious about it. So, you know, once it becomes a, more than just a hobby and becomes a serious hobby, um, you kind yeah. of go, okay, how do, I, how do I start balancing this? And the balancing exercise can become quite difficult at times. So I made sure that, uh, maybe this was strategic, that wherever I worked, I would try to get the the manager or the supervisor who would be the person approving my leave, really into the band. It's like, oh, check this out. Oh, that's really cool. Yes, it is. Can I have four weeks off to tour Europe, please? Sure, no worries. So it's funny because on, on paper, like if you look at my resume, my CV, it looks like a very responsible legal career. Um, but you know, this sort of the Jekyll and Hyde thing where you, you can make two things work and you can make two serious careers work concurrently. Um, not everyone can do that. Not everyone wants to do that. It is difficult, but there are 24 hours in the day, I always say. So you can make it work.
0: Now, obviously you, you were a kid in Germany. How old were you when your family moved to Australia? Uh, I was 11.
1: So, you know, I was, I'd spent a significant part of my life in, in Germany and, didn't speak any English when I came to Australia and I had the full migrant experience. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was full on. And I think heavy music uh, at some point kind of helped me through those difficult teenage years. Um, and yeah, I, I'm eternally grateful to not only the sort of the rock and the metal community, but just, you know, bands like bands like Typo Negative for just, just bringing me through those difficult years um, and being my, my musical accompaniment to them.
0: So obviously, that seems that I, I imagine that part of your, your passion here for migration law is the fact that you were an immigrant and you came to Germany. And were there any experiences in your childhood that might have influenced your decision to go into that area of law? It's,
1: it's funny, um, I thought it was my mi- migration experience that made me want to become a migration uh, lawyer, but I don't think it was because I didn't really have the same migration experience as a lot of adults have. You know, I was kind of dragged along as a, as a child and it was probably easier for me than, than most, which is not saying much because it was still quite hard. I think my passion for immigration law stems from just a love for weird bureaucracy and red tape and passports and countries and obscure... You know, breakaway regions. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I've always liked that obscurity. I've always liked that everything is made up and immigration law, particularly and borders, are completely made up, more made up than law itself. And that kind of fascinates me. Um, so maybe, maybe, I think it's more that than my own migration experience, to be honest.
0: Does it, does it help you, though, identify with people like your clients that you're working with, like the, 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 some of the emotions they're going through, the concerns they have? Are you able to identify, at least to relate to some of it? Yeah, and
1: I think actually music helps a lot. To be honest, I think uh, being in tune, being um, being a musician helps you develop sort of an EQ, and I think a sensitivity that that is more a human connection, um, and that in itself helps me with the, with the law. Um, so it, it, it's certainly that experience of you know being scared of the new and coming to a new place and having to settle there, but also just that that eq that you really need um in in something like law which is a service-based industry and particularly with immigration law because you're dealing with people who have uprooted their entire lives to be in australia who are struggling to stay here you know um and it's not all <clears throat> it's not all bad some of them some of them are just purely formalities but behind every formality is is a person and when you can connect with them on that emotional level it's um, yeah it's really nice and i i thank music for that i think
0: well, I mean, Promise, I know the new the, the the first single off the new album kind of deals with kind of coping with the chaos in the world, and it has a lot of the positivity that I think is in a lot of the music. I mean, that, that's a term that gets tossed around way too much these days, but like, in your case, like, you guys have a, it's metal, I mean, it's got the 80s synth pop and 80s metal with the prog and uh, some gent, as some people have said, and some yes. little trance techno that you taught Towson there, but like... Overall, even though there's aggressive moments, it is very, still very upbeat music. It feels like there's a lot of passion behind it, and it is, it's, it's different. I mean, I love metal for the exorcism that it brings, the, the dark side. But you guys sort of have a, a balance, a bigger, a larger balance, I think, between the two. For
1: sure, yeah. I mean, we certainly have a dark side as well. But I think, um, particularly with with a lot of our music, you know, it's it's about the melody, it's about the catchy choruses, and it's a, a sort of what I call uplifting melancholy um, because I like wallowing in melancholy. That's a very metal thing to do, but I also like being (laughs) uplifted at the end of it. So promise particularly for for Eurovision, which, you know, should be a a positive event in a a very unstable world, uh, at at times. Um, we wanted to make sure that there is that mystery in the beginning, there is that melancholy, then you do get crushed halfway through by this sort of breakdown, but you do get uplifted towards the end. And I think that's, that's the thing that I think a lot of metal music is, is, is missing is that, that balance between the melancholy and, and the, the darkness and also that, the, the uplifting nature of, of metal. Because at the end of the day, like metal is entertainment, a lot of it's a, it's a huge spectacle. There's you know, big guitars, big notes, big vocals. Um, so it is a spectacle and, and why, not, why not translate that to the Eurovision stage?
0: I'm actually curious, you know, because immigration is obviously something around the world that is becoming a, a hot-button topic, Yeah. but I'm curious if you see very, if you, are there are a lot of differences in what you see between the American, German, and Australian views of borders in migration, or is it all relatively similar?
1: I think it's vastly different, and mainly because uh, Australia has just that wonderful geographical boundary, which you could almost say is a natural border. You know, we're an island, and whenever you're an island... Yeah. Um, you, you know, you try to protect that island. And so we have a very, quite a harsh, quite a difficult immigration uh, policy. Um, I think it's the game diplomacy, um, where if you get Australia, um, you just, you know, you're probably going to win because of its geographical location. So the, the juxtaposition to Germany, which has, you know, welcomed uh, a lot of people from who were fleeing uh, persecution or fleeing uh, war and unrest in, in the last uh, decade or so. I mean, I think Germany welcomes something like two million people, um, whereas uh, you know Australia's refugee program might be, you know, less than twenty thousand. So there's a there's is a certain annu- annually or sorry annually, yeah. So it's okay. a it's a it's a different attitude, I think. Um, which is funny because Germany is not traditionally an immigration country, and Australia is traditionally an immigration country. Um, so this kind of protectionism does. Uh, does baffle me at times and the fact that Germany has been very welcoming and less stringent um, is, is quite strange. but what I do see around the world is that you know there's a lot of push for skilled migrants now you know and Australias Australia's now competing with places like the US Canada Germany for those skilled migrant places whereas you know in the past we haven't had to try that hard now I think you know there's that competition and we need to try that a little bit harder so there's this push to welcome people and, but, but they might say well it's really complicated and the system's full of red tape um, now I'll just move to Canada instead so there's a really interesting kind of skilled migration piece to to immigration law as well which fascinates me
0: yeah it's interesting I mean here it's a very big hot button topic but then again every other po- every other topic in this country my country is hot button you guys topic are just point. yeah
1: hot about everything like there's everything's polarized everything's so full on and that's what I love about you know North America there's There's so many things to love and so many things to hate, and it's just just great.
2: Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons,
0: Yeah, no, immigration is something that's interesting. My mother was a Cuban refugee in the early wow. '60s. Okay, um, my my grandfather was Syrian. He went to Cuba. He was going to go to the States, but he ended up in Cuba. There was an Arab population. He liked it there. He met my grandmother, who's Spanish and French. So I have my Spanish. Uh, I guess great grandfather would have been from uh, from Astudius in the north. You know, my dad's from the Midwest, so he's in Illinois. So it's like he's English, Scottish, Irish, German. My mom's side is a little a little different. It's a bigger mixture. Um, and you know, and they That's had to leave so cool. Cuba because Castro took all their money. And then the parents spent six months in Mexico so if they get over here and they start life all over again. Um, so I sit there going, yeah, my life's not so difficult.
1: It's, you know what? Yeah. And these are the wonderful stories that make our countries what they are today. And, you know, uh, America without immigration would, I mean, where, where would you be? It would be a, it would be a vastly duller place and, you know. If all the undocumented uh, you know, immigrants left the country, be, the country would probably collapse. So it's funny to have such a harsh yeah. migration system for, for countries that are so heavily reliant on migration. And I think people people see migration, they think migration, they go, oh, you need to work for refugees. It was like, no, yes, we, we do. But at the same time, it's like an economic portfolio as well. My, my light's just gone off. It's an economic portfolio because... Nation building yeah. is heavily based on on immigration, um, and people have never really seen immigration as a as an economic portfolio. Every migrant that comes to the country contributes to the gross domestic product. Like everyone is everyone is helping, everyone's doing their bit. So um, it's good to to have a, a, that 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 paradigm shift sometimes and go. Oh, it's not just refugee law; it's actually an economic thing yeah. that we need. Without it, we would be screwed. Both of our countries.
0: What are actually the main reasons people? come to Australia, and where are the main places that they come from?
1: Um, Our top countries are, at the moment, the United Kingdom, uh, India, China, and New Zealand. And the reasons that people come are generally quality of life. Um, Quality Mm. of life and security, stability, um, and also quite a high standard of living, I would say. You know, Australia, yes, it's expensive, inflation, yada, yada, but... Uh, you know, the degree of stability, the general lack of corruption, the transparency of government, um, which yes, it can be slow, especially in immigration, but uh, yeah. that those are the reasons that I think drive a lot of people. Um, you know, I often speak to clients who are like, you know, I could be making four times as much money in, in Oman, you know, working in oil and gas, but I, I don't want to. I want to live in a, in a nice city like Sydney or Melbourne or Perth. and, and you know, have that freedom, breathe breathe clean air, air is a a big one, you know, you don't think about that, but air is huge, you know, people love to breathe, if you're living in Beijing and there's smog every time, or you're in Delhi and it's this cloud of of smog, you're going to come to Perth or you're going to come to Brisbane in Australia and go, wow, this is amazing. and it's not that unaffordable, you know, I mean, you can still buy in certainly not, not in the big cities like, you know, Sydney and Melbourne or Perth, but you know, cities like Adelaide and some of, the, some of the smaller towns, you can buy, you can buy houses, probably not too dissimilar to the United States for a reasonable amount of money. <clears throat> the other thing is, um, you know, people still do have that, the this, this similar sort of idea about the Australian dream. Similar to the American Dream, you know, you can you can make it. You can make something of yourself here, and it's it's a wonderful country, and it's actually quite a small country. Our population is twenty four million, so it's a country that has incredible resources, um, which we just tend to dig out of the ground and and export without doing too much to to it. Um, But so it's a country with enormous potential, and it's always been called the lucky country for that reason.
0: Now, that especially now that you've been on Eurovision, I mean, the band's been around for 22, 24 <laughs> years, but now that you've been on Eurovision, how is that, has, that, has that affected your job and people's perception of you? Because now you're not just the immigration attorney, you're like, you know, you're like this, you're confused by someone as a rock star who might not have known that before about you.
1: <laughs> yeah, look, uh, I think I tried to keep it a secret for some time, but then when we... When we got into the finals for the Eurovision, the, the Australian component, I was like, "No, nah, we just have to, we just have to lay all the cards on the table." So, you know, the hair came down, and you know, even even LinkedIn was was full of Voyager stuff. So people were like, "Whoa, what's going on here?" And I think what was incredible is that the 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 legal community in Australia really embraced it. Um, whether it was judges, whether it was uh, you know barristers, whether it was clients, um, they embraced it because they they could really see that you can be a professional and still have a very, very serious hobby on the side. And they sort of appreciate that creativity. And it also ties in with very much within the narrative that is very strong in the legal profession, which is work-life balance. What people don't realize is that being in a band is, is also work and a lot of stress. But you know, people don't know that. And they go, oh, this is just this cool thing that you do on the side. It must be your relaxing outlet. Yes, it is. Um, and that really ties in with, with a lot of the narrative that, that the legal community is going through at the moment. Whether that's the reality or not, I don't know, because law is still a, a very demanding profession, as you would yeah. know in, uh, in the United States. But I was very surprised to see how much support there was actually from the legal community. I think in a lot of other countries that would not have been possible, um, that have far more conservative uh, legal professions. I remember doing an interview with the Dutch Society of Jurists, and um, the interviewer was like, well, how, how, to, how do people take it seriously? You know, in, in the Netherlands, this would just not be possible. You know, so uh, <laughs> you, you've got this, you, you, you can you can see that people are progressive in their thinking, even though that, we, you know, the law is considered to be a conservative profession. And I've been told before, you know, I got offered jobs and people were like, well, you're going to have to cut your hair because this is a conservative profession. And I said, no, thank you. Um, and the, the wonderful thing about it is if I look around now, it's not as conservative as people would think. I think a lot of lawyers are very progressive and I think we just get a bad rap. So anything I can do to my legal fraternity to make sure that I'm making lawyers slightly more cool, slightly more accessible and slightly more friendly, I'm happy to, I will, happy to be of service.
0: Are there any lawyers and judges that you know that are metalheads? Yeah, for
1: sure, absolutely. There's there's quite a few, in fact, there's quite a few lawyers and in fact judges who are who are musicians, not necessarily metalheads, but um, there's not such a huge disparity between the two because when you, you're very left brain focused, you sometimes need to activate the right brain, which is the music side. And a lot of the creativity that you develop there, you actually can apply to the law and, and think a lot more laterally. So law and music kind of go hand in hand uh, in, in some ways. Um, that might not seem natural, but certainly I think more so than mathematics and music, which I'm always told if you're good at music, you're good at maths. I am a perfect example of why that is not correct. So (laughs) perfectly aligned, I think, uh, law and music, maths and music, not so much.
0: What have been some of the more unusual immigration cases that you've taken on?
1: Look, it ranges from someone coming into your office saying, I haven't had a visa for 38 years, can you help me? you know, been living in the community and they've just finally decided, hey, this is too much. I can't handle this anymore. I need to come clean. I need to sort out. I need to regularize my status. So, and you, know, you work a lot on that. Um, there's a lot of... But they're obviously- living in the country for 38 years without a visa.
0: Yeah. And they, just fly, they just fly under the radar.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the 80s was an amazing time. You know, there was a lot of paper. <laughs> there was not, not a lot of systems. It was great. Uh, you could do a lot of things. You could, I mean, some of these people have been... You know, they got social security payments, they were voting, and you're like, how, how did you get yourself in this situation? There's plenty of those in the States as well, no doubt. Um, and those are really interesting parts because you can really help a person kind of get you know, get out of, the, out of the darkness and, and out of the fear uh, into some sort of stability. We see a lot of sort of corporate migration as well, you know, trying to get people, you know, I need this person on an oil rig, you know, next week, that type of sort of global mobility. Which is also exciting because you're, you're dealing with very very quick, very fast turnaround times. But some of the more, I guess, personal ones are, you know, people who come to Australia with and, and uh, have children with health problems, for instance, or they get sick, they don't meet the health criteria, there's appeals, 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 then you finally, you know, you, you win something, you go back to a tribunal and the tribunal says no again for a different reason. It's this ping pong. You know, there's families who've been here for 12, 13 years. And when you're when you're fighting the good fight there and you finally get to make that call to say, Hey, you got you guys are permanent residents and your kid with a significant disability who's been fighting for such a long time yeah. and is very much part of the community gets to stay, those are the really wonderful moments that make it all worthwhile. And you know, it's 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 such a nice area of law uh, when when you do get to make those phone calls, when you do get to really, really change a person's life. And um you know, I had a client come to my office the other day and he said, I think about you every day. And I thought that sounds creepy, but but I get why, you know, he's he's grateful. <laughs>
2: yeah. I got him
1: out of detention. He was in immigration detention 10 years ago. I got him out of detention. Um, he literally had every single thing go wrong with his visa that could possibly go wrong, which is now a thing that I no. tell tell my junior lawyers about, like, this is a perfect example of how things can just go horribly wrong and now he's a citizen, he's got his own IT company, you know, he's doing well, he said, I bought, you know, I bought a Mercedes the other day, and I was just thought of you, because I wouldn't be here without you, and that is an awesome thing to hear, and that makes it all worthwhile.
0: Were there, have there been any cases that you, like, you wanted to win, but it just didn't work out, like, it was, like, a family that came over, or was there?
1: Yeah, there's some, there's some that you want to win, and, uh, and you kind of, and you kind of want to push it further because you've got the fight in you, and you—it's like I don't care. I'll do it for free, or whatever. You know, I'll do it pro bono. It doesn't matter because I believe in this. You've got to believe in the case, you've got, to, or you've got to like your client, or you've got to be paid very well for it. If none of those are none of those are uh, uh, are ticked, then you shouldn't take the case on. But you know, there's those cases where the client just goes, you know what? No, I've I've had enough. I've been through the system, and I'm just going to go home. I'm going to give up and and you know that there is a small chance that you know if you pushed it and you, and you and you kept going you know you went to that next appeal they could possibly win um, and you kind of you kind of defeated because you want them to you want them to continue but at the same time you have to realize that you know their life is not your game um, and if they make that call then well that's that's their call to make so there there certainly have been a few of those but generally we do alright with our cases not not a hundred percent. Nobody's got a hundred percent win rate, but we do
0: all right. Yeah, I mean, you, so you co you co-founded this. So it's it's estrin Saul. That's right. Um, and when when what when year was the migration specialist? What year did you found your, your uh, law firm?
1: Almost almost ten years ago. So uh, twenty fourteen.
0: Wow. How many cases do you think you've taken on in that time?
1: Uh, we just reached fifteen thousand.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. So how do you sleep between? <laughs> Being an attorney and being in a band, do you, do you get a lot of time off? I mean, I know we're doing this interview. It's like eleven a.m. here. It's eleven p.m. where you are in Perth. No, no. I um, I like to sleep and I, I did naps. Naps
1: are a big thing for me. Naps are invigorating. Um, I get it. Yep. You know what I mean? You, yeah, you get it. Um, we've got a nap room at work, um, and you know, sometimes I just go in there and just have fifteen minutes, and then I feel amazing for the next four hours. So that's why I like touring so much on a tour bus. Because you can have, you put in your little bunk bed and you just go in there and have a nap and you feel reinvigorated. Um, look, there is a lot. We started the firm uh, in 2014. It was two guys with a couple of maxed out credit cards. Um, just wanted to get out of the big rat race. We were working for a, for a big firm, which is actually a, it was a New York based firm. A global mobility firm. Uh, and, you know, we, we got out. And we decided let's just do our own thing. We don't really need to do that many cases. We don't need much money. And we've grown to, to you know, a, a, a small beast of 30 people, um, almost 10 years later. And it's, uh, it's a lot of hard work, and it, but it's very, very satisfying. And I have one of the best business partners in the world who said, when I said, hey, I'm gonna do Eurovision, he was like, go for it. Take whatever you need. This is awesome. It did also help that he was a big Eurovision fan. So sleep is not really something that uh, happens a lot, but uh, it happens frequently. And with naps, I think I get in my hours.
0: What are the other what are the other occupations of the band members
1: Simone works in a, a music store um, Alex uh, is a he, he does graphic design and he also plays plays gigs on the weekend with our drummer Ash who's also a graphic designer he was actually a graphic design lecturer um, and Scott uh, the other guitarist is a guitar teacher so they're all very much creative arts music related I think I'm the odd one out that just has gone. A vastly different profession on the other side, um, which I think is is good to a degree because you get to experience something quite uh, quite remarkably different to being in that scene twenty four seven. But at the same time, you know, I, I kind of sometimes go, "Well, that's your thing. You, you you do your thing, whether it be graphics or whether it be music. You're in this scene. You're you're living and breathing music all day." And I think that's also amazingly refreshing because um, you when you breathe music 24 hours a day, you come up with some pretty cool stuff. Whereas I need to switch that music brain off once in a while and get onto the left side of the brain,
0: the law the law brain. What do you think are the biggest misconceptions people probably have about your profession? Especially coming to say from a music fans' side, like, oh, you're a lawyer too. Like, how's that possible? Like, you know, some people have very negative attitudes towards lawyers too. They
1: do, they do, yeah, and that's a sad thing um, because lawyers do a lot of really good work. Um, So we'll talk about let's talk about lawyers and misconceptions. I think people always go, oh, you're going to charge me for this, you're going to charge me for that, and you know what? We I don't, and we don't, Uh, we don't do, we don't charge in six minute intervals. We're not, you know, we're not greedy. Uh, g- greedy lawyers. Some are, a, lo- a lot are, but in a lot of professions there are. We do so much pro bono work. We do so much free work and it's expected of us. You don't see financial advisors and and, and other professions having an expectation from the industry to go and do pro bono work. You know, that's just not a thing. Why is that, why is that a thing with lawyers? So I think the misconceptions are lawyers are going to rip me off. They're going to charge yeah. me for every phone call. Um, and it's just not true. like it's, it, it really is. Yes, there are some that do that. But I kind of feel like when I try to shatter that misconception, people expect it anyway. So I sometimes think maybe I should just charge you for the phone call because you expect it anyway. Right? <laughs> you just expect <laughs> me to rip you off. So Matt, why should I shatter your stereotype? You know, I could rip you off. Hey, I'll get rich out of it too. It's amazing and you'll maintain your stereotype.
0: Yeah, is, I don't think people do know that you have the same name as a guitarist from Hoobastank Tank and an NPR host. And I didn't know about the NPR host, and I, I did find the interview where you guys all spoke together. It's like, how Daniel good Estrin. is
1: it? It's so that's, good.
0: That's crazy. Were you, were you kind of freaked out by that? Like, oh, my God.
1: No. In fact, I think we're finding more Daniel Estrin's. Like, Daniel Estrin writes me an email saying, firstly, Daniel Estrin from Hubersang is always like, Man, check this out. You know, someone, someone I get all these messages in my in my DMs. Someone's like, "Oh, I really liked your outfit on Eurovision. You know, where can I make? I want to get it made for my prom." And the guy's like, "Wrong, Daniel Estrin, dude." <laughs> Stuff like that. And then he sends, and then the other Daniel Estrin just recently sent me like another Daniel Estrin, who is like some other mixing engineer somewhere. I'm like, what? What is happening? It's just, it's such a. At one stage, we're going to have a convention. We're going to get together and start a band. It's going to be called Daniels Estra and it's going to be great. And uh, we just have to make it happen.
2: <laughs> it's NFL Draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.